0: Wednesday session with you was two weeks ago and we started a series of messages we're calling making room for the Holy Ghost and uh, if you want to know what does that mean well it means consciously choosing to put the Holy Spirit in the highest place in your life he is the person of God that's present in the earth God the Father is in heaven Jesus the Son is seated at His right hand. The Holy Spirit has been sent here as the representative of the Godhead. He is God the Spirit. And so we want to put Him in His proper place. So it is a conscious choice. This really doesn't happen by accident. It's a conscious choice to put the Holy Spirit in the highest place in our lives. That is personally for each one of us individually. And also, and this is very important, that we do this corporately As a church congregation. There are places, you know, where the Holy Spirit is really not very welcome. He's very seldom uh, recognized or identified. And if he shows up in any way that's not traditional or not according to the pre-planned program, uh, then he's not allowed to do his thing. Uh, One fellow said one time that some people wouldn't know the Holy Spirit if he came down the aisle with a red hat on. And uh, I can see the point of that. But we don't want to be one of those places. We don't want to be embalmed with unbelief. We do not want to be dead. We do not want to be so traditional and bound that the Holy Spirit has no place to room, uh, no place to move. I mean no room to move. And also, we don't want to uh, we don't want to be crazy. You know a lot of times when you talk about the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to move, people think, well, you know, we don't want to get too wild. we we don't want wildfire. We don't want all of that, you know, excess and fanaticism. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, uh, I agree that we want to do things decently and in order. That's biblical. We want that. I do agree that excesses uh, have to be dealt with, corrected, and we need teaching on the subject. But I'm telling you, I would rather have uh, a little bit of wildfire as to have no fire. I would rather have a little bit of excess and fanaticism and have a move of the Spirit than to have the order of a graveyard and all that goes along with that. It's very hard on many uh, levels for the church to stay in the middle of the road. It really is. It's very difficult not to go off into a ditch, a tangent on one side or the other. But in this area of the move and the presence of the Holy Spirit... This is just something we cannot afford to not get right. It's something that's too important because all the gifts of the Spirit are operated through the Holy Spirit. All the ministry gifts, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, all the other gifts that are mentioned in various places like in Romans 12, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all of those function and operate because of the Holy Spirit. You cannot educate yourself, and I mean education alone—just uh, you know, just studying books. You can't just educate yourself into a move of the Spirit. You have to experience the move of the Spirit. Now that doesn't mean that we we value ignorance, and that doesn't mean we don't want to learn. But what that does mean is that we have to be willing to get out of our mental boxes. Amen. And we have to be willing to just believe that when God said something, He meant it. And another thing we've got to do is we've got to get out of the mindset that miracles and supernatural gifts and supernatural ministries are a thing of the past. It's amazing to me how church folks will talk about the miracles of somebody that ministered perhaps on a mission field 200 years ago Or they will talk about the miracle of our Bible, which it is a miracle story of how God brought and protected and brought together this miracle book, and and not just in the authors who wrote all those different time frames, different centuries even, and, and, and all the rest, but how that even bringing together the scriptures for the church to have for these last days. It's just an amazing story. But a lot of people, they don't have a problem with, with acknowledging those kinds of miracles. The only and, and they don't have a problem with acknowledging the supernatural that's going to be out there a thousand years from now. They don't have a problem with talking about how beautiful heaven must be, sweet home of the happy and free, fair haven of rest for the weary. <laughs> How beautiful heaven must be. They don't have a problem with with miracles in the past. They don't have a problem with with supernatural great things in the future. The only place that some people seem to have a problem with the supernatural is here and now. There is a great challenge for this whole aspect of the Holy Spirit's ministry in that we have to decrease in order for Him to increase and there is a big problem because we like to have things our way. I mean, Burger King made a lot of money years ago with that slogan, you know, having it your way. But how many of you know the church is not Burger King? (laughs) Though we are going to have burgers on the picnic day. You want to come for that. Uh, But anyway, uh, that's not what this is about. This is not about my plans and my preconceived ideas uh, being just pushed out there, and I say, God, bless this. I'm going to give you this to work with. And and you, if you want to bless anything, you're just going to have to bless this. This is my plan. That's a great way to have a dead church. <laughs> it's a great way to have a dead service. No, we have to yield. I, I had a minister friend tell me one time about how the Lord had taught him. He didn't mean that he had learned all there was to know about it, but how the Lord had taught him about yielding to the Holy Spirit, making room for the Holy Spirit in his preaching and ministry. And he said, you know, and sometimes it's it's, um, it's you know, it's scary. I mean, I don't know if you use the word scary, but you know what I mean by that. In other words, uh, you're not in control. And some of us really like being in control. Amen? I mean... <laughs> You know, if you always fold the towel the same way, and you always squeeze the toothpaste tube the same way, if you always put it back where it belongs, that's really nice at home. But sometimes when you come to church, if that's you, you got a problem. You say, How do you know? Guess. (laughs) Guess. But see, we have to learn to allow the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do. So making room for the Holy Spirit means being led by the Spirit and obeying Him in all areas of our life. It means obeying His specific commands and His specific guidance. It means allowing Him to manifest in our services through His anointing and through His gifts. And so last time we, we met together and talked about this, we looked in 2 Kings chapter 4. We're not going to turn back there tonight, but I'll just reiterate a moment or two about the story of what of the Shunammite woman. And she lived in a place called Shunam, and she was referred to as a Shunammite. And so uh, she was a perceptive lady, spiritually uh, sensitive, evidently. And she noticed that there was a man of God who regularly seemed to come by. Now we know that in the days of Elisha, because that's who uh, the story uh, is about, uh, in the days of Elisha the prophet, there was a school of ministers. It had been going even in Elijah's day. And so I don't know if Elisha was traveling back and forth to this Bible school, this school of the prophets, Uh, I don't know how, why, but he would evidently go by her place. And the Bible calls her a great woman. And that doesn't mean she was real fat. It means she was a woman of esteem. She was a woman of some means. She was a wealthy woman. And uh, she uh, saw and recognized the man of God. And so she told her husband, we're going to build a room for him out here on the wall. And so when he comes by, he can come in. And he can stay, he can sleep, he can rest. We'll put a table, we'll put you know a stool, we'll put a bed in there. And so that's exactly what they did, and so that's what Elisha was doing. Well, you know that after she was so kind to him and so good to him, uh, he wanted to know what could be done for her. And she didn't want any kind of... Uh, uh, promotion as far as political things or governmental things she didn't want to be spoken to to the king or anything like that and so she basically said you know you don't have to do anything but then the servant of Elisha Gehazi said she doesn't have any children and so Elisha realized this would be a desire of her heart and so he prophesied to her that she would have a child and about a year later she did have the child and as we read and learned last time, the child grew, and he was still just a kid, but he was out with his dad one day with all the harvesters and reapers in the field, and his head began to hurt him. He got very sick, and so the, the dad, the father, did what all good dads do. He said, take him to his mother, and uh, so they took him to his mother, and uh, he sat on her lap and laid over on her and died. Well, you know, it's kind of a I mean, it's it's probably a crazy question, but you know, what would you do? What would any mother do? I mean, this this is kind of like the worst day of her life. Because though she would have wanted a child, when she never had a child, she had learned to live and adjust to that. But to be given a child supernaturally because her husband was old, this was something that would not normally just happened. this wasn't a coincidence this was a supernatural happening and so for that child to die would be like the worst day of her life but to her credit she knew what to do and you know the story how that she sent and said bring me the donkey I'm going to go see the man of God and that's exactly what she did but before she did How many remember what she did with her little boy's body? She took him up into the prophet's room and laid him on the prophet's bed. Now, we're talking about making room for the Holy Ghost. She literally made a room for God's anointed servant. Elisha was the number one minister of the day. Nobody carried more clout, more weight spiritually than did Elisha. So when she made a room for him, and she blessed him, she was making room for the Holy Ghost. She was making room for the anointing, because he was an anointed man of God. And we know the anointing is manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And so... uh, So she took the little boy, took him up there, took his body, laid him on the bed. She went to the man of God. You know the story how that uh, she refused to come back without the prophet. He was going to send his servant, but she wouldn't have it. He had to come back. And I think it's just amazing how he just did what she said. (laughs) I mean, he was a powerful man, but like most men, he just did what the women said do. And so, but she was speaking by faith. I mean, and we don't want to laugh too much about Elisha because if you read the Gospels, you'll find time after time people told Jesus what they were going to have and how it was going to be. And he just did what they said. Come to my house and my servant will be healed. If I can touch but the hem of his garment. When they tore the hole in the roof... (laughs) And let the guy down that was lame down in front of Jesus as he was teaching. And all those Pharisees and doctors of the law were there. And the Bible says the power of God was present to heal them. Interesting that none of them got healed. But he that was let down through the hole in the roof, he did get healed. So again and again, people with their faith declared one way or another, how it was going to be, and God honored their faith. How many of you believe that God would honor your faith? Yeah. Not just somebody that lived 200 years ago that did some magnificent thing in India or Africa or South America, but your faith in Lynchburg, Virginia. Your faith wherever you are, wherever you're watching. Yes, he'll honor your faith. And so he came, and this, long story short, the little boy was raised from the dead. So her greatest need was met because she had made room for the Holy Ghost. Let me say it to you this way. I think it makes even uh, a better point for us. Her greatest desire was granted, and then her greatest need was met. So whether we're talking about something that is a godly desire, you don't absolutely have to have it to survive, or whether we're talking about an essential need, in either case, If you learn to make room for the Holy Spirit in your life, you will be positioned so that when you need the anointing, it will be there. (laughs) I think we ought to just lift up our hands and thank God for the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Thank God for the indwelling Spirit. Thank God for the supernatural power of God that brings miracles into the lives of the people of God. Oh, we worship you tonight, Lord. We thank you. We always want to make room. For you, we always want to make room for the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we're home, when we're at church, when we're on the job, when we're at school, wherever we are, to always make room for the Holy Ghost. Amen. Because I can tell you, and I'm not prophesying anything bad upon you, you understand, but I can just tell you because this is how life is, there will be times when we'll all need The anointing. We're going to all need the Holy Spirit to manifest. There will be times when you're going to need to have made room for the Holy Spirit. So if I were the devil, and don't anybody say anything, but if I were the devil, I can tell you this, I sure would fight this message. I'm talking about, generally speaking, the, the, the truths about the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit. I would fight it tooth and nail. Hmm, interesting. That's what he does, isn't it? I mean, it's amazing. Because, sadly, the devil understands more about what potential is available through the Holy Spirit than some Christians know. I said the devil knows more about the potential for the Holy Spirit's work and operation than some Christians know. And, and it's not because God hides it from us. It's just because people don't listen or they don't hear, they don't study. They're not taught. It's not preached. We need this message. Can you say praise the Lord? So in John chapter 14, we'll pick up tonight with some teachings from Jesus. Uh, how many of you think Jesus knows what he's talking about? Would you consider Jesus an expert on things spiritual? All right. Well, let's see what he has to say. And, you know, when you read the red, this trumps what Dr. So-and-so says. When you read the red, this trumps what your mother-in-law says. Amen. So let's begin. John 14, verse number 16. He says, And I will pray the Father... And he will give you another comforter. Now, that word comforter is the Greek word paraklete. P-A-R-A-K-L-E-T-E. The Amplified Classic will give you a full rendering of the word. And it says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another comforter. And I'll use this to help emphasize what we're saying, another counselor, another helper, another intercessor, another advocate, another strengthener, and another standby, that he may remain with you forever. So this word, the King James that I was reading from, Uses the word comforter. Some of you may have a different translation that would choose one of these other words, like the word helper. I think that's one of the common ones. It's all true. And I would point out it's all equally true. He's not more of a comforter than he is a helper. He's not more of a helper than he is a comforter. He is all these things all the time. Comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, Strengthener and stand by Jesus said another comforter now if I uh, owned let's say I'm thinking about Glenda's first car she had a car that her brother gave her a little you can imagine this car a little yellow Ford Falcon anybody I know TJ's a car man you remember the old Ford Falcon that was that was a car that her brother gave. It was nice of him to give her that little yellow car. <laughs> who, who, who has a yellow car? <laughs> anyway. All right, let's say, so that, let's say that's Glenna's car. And uh, she says, I'm going to get me another car. I'm going to get me a Cadillac. Now, how many of you know that would be another car? Yeah. That would be a vast improvement over a yellow Ford Falcon That's another. But that's not what this word means. This word doesn't mean something completely different. Jesus used the word another, meaning another like me. So let's say she's got the Cadillac, and she says, I'm going to get another Cadillac. Something that's the same. It's equal in, in value and so forth. That's what Jesus was saying. In other words, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, is going to do for you, he's talking to his disciples, exactly everything that I do for you. It will not be anything less. You'll not get the, you know, the leftover version, the markdown version, the 75% off version. You are getting the full-fledged another counselor just like me. And the good part about the counselor he's talking about, the Holy Spirit, he can be in every one of us at the same time. Now if you were living in the days of Jesus, and many people think, well they would like to have maybe done that, but the fact is, if you weren't where he was, then you didn't get to partake of whatever he was giving out or what he was doing. But with the Holy Spirit, we can partake wherever we are. He'll go home with you tonight. He'll go with you tomorrow to your job. He'll go with you wherever you go. It says, even the spirit of truth. Well, let me reread that 16th verse because that last part we've got to get to. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Forever. Everybody say forever. So the Holy Spirit isn't coming and going. He's not on today and off tomorrow. Have you ever dealt with somebody and you were counting on them and they didn't show up? And you waited and you waited. And as you waited, you got more angry and more angry because you were counting on them. Well, the Holy Spirit will never do you that way. He'll never do that. He will be with you forever. And also that means whether I feel him or not. You know, one of the faults of Pentecostal people, and I'm one of them, so I can talk about us, but one of our faults over the years has been that we've been a people of great emotion and feeling, and I love emotion and feeling. I mean, you know, uh, sometimes people run around this church. Sometimes I'm one of them. I used to run a whole lot bigger lap. Now I run a little bit smaller lap than I used to. Uh, I love to... Shout, praise, dance, jump. I I love the excitement that comes from spirit-filled worship. I never want to lose that. I never want to compromise that in any way, shape, form, or fashion. However, there are times when I don't feel anything. Have you ever awakened? Well, you don't have to raise your hands, but have you ever awakened on Sunday morning and you thought, I don't want to go to church. (laughs) I want to go back to sleep. You say, do pastors feel that way? Yes, they do. If, they're, if they tell you the truth, they t- they, they'll tell you they do. Because we're all human. And sometimes, you know, things happen. Sometimes we eat the wrong things Saturday evening and it d- didn't digest so well. And we just kind of feel yucky the next day. And, and so my whole point in telling you all this mess is that even when you feel that way, the Holy Spirit has not left you. He may not like your attitude and he may tell you that he doesn't like your attitude, but he's not going to leave you. And so what that means is that even when bad news comes, and most of us, maybe all of us know that feeling, when kind of your head ends up where your feet are, all of a sudden it's like somebody just cuts you off at the knees, hits you as we say in the pit of your stomach, that kind of thing. I want you to know the Holy Spirit is as much inside you at that moment as He was when you were running around the church, shouting and rejoicing and laughing and praising and dancing and singing. You see, He doesn't leave. So that's all the more reason to make room for Him because He needs a place to stay in you. Amen? I mean I, I use that, it may sound a little funny, don't mean it sacrilegiously at all or disrespectfully. But you know if, if, uh, if, if I told you, if Glenn and I said you know we love you all, we like you so much and so some of you here in the congregation, we're going to move in with you. We're not going to ask you, we're not even going to pay you we're just going to move in. <laughs> well how many of you know that the only way that's going to work is you're going to have to make room for us. Aren't you glad that that's not the way it's going to be? I'm sure you are. Well, the Holy Spirit is not an unwanted guest. His presence is never an imposition. He'll never cost you something that, you, that, that makes him uh, less worthwhile than what he is. Anything that you ever give up or sacrificially do, to please the Holy Spirit, you'll be rewarded so many times over because of it that you'll always be glad you did. But the point is, the Holy Spirit is never going to be an imposition, but He does need a place. If He's going to manifest, if He's going to do what He does... If He's going to be the comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, strengthener, standby, advocate, all those sevenfold things that that word means, if He's going to be all of that in our lives and do all of those ministries for us, taking our lives to new levels and new places, we have to make room for Him. That means that He needs an active part in your life. You know, um, many cars... Well, it used to be, you know, years ago, I'm sure the old Falcon had it, they had spare tires. And then they went to um, uh, these little uh, balloons, you know, these life lifesaver things that they give you for tires, and you can't drive very fast. And then, in my car, I don't even have a spare. They got tires that run flat for Uh, 50 miles till you can get somewhere to get it fixed. And that all sounds great until you have to go buy one. (laughs) (laughs) But there's nowhere to put a spare. So my point is, the Holy Spirit does not want to be your spare tire. The place you make for Him is not at the bottom of your trunk. He wants to ride in the front. As a matter of fact, he wants to drive. He thinks he's God. <laughs> you know, the devil, if you give him a ride, he'll want to drive. Well, the Holy Ghost wants to drive. And I'll tell you, he'll take you down streets street you would never go down. He'll take you places you never thought you'd be. He'll outdo your wildest imagination. He'll go beyond what you ask or think. (laughs) Ha, <laughs> ha, if you'll just let him. It's amazing. I know many of us here in this place tonight, we could testify of, a, of such a change just in the last few years, the last 10 years, 15 years. What an amazing transformation God has made in our lives and how that he has blessed us to do things and have things and, and go places and, and experience things that 20 years ago we would have never even thought about. He can do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Make room for the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So Jesus went on to say, we just got through one verse there, let's try for another. He said, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Speaking, of course, of the coming day of Pentecost, he shall be in you. But notice that phrase, verse 17. I don't want to take a long time with this, but it needs to be mentioned. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Now, if we, if we read that and think for a moment, we would think we have a problem. Because aren't we supposed to preach into all the world that men need to be saved? And don't men and women get saved and regenerated? And don't they get born again through the seed of the word, the gospel, and the operation or the birthing process of the Holy Spirit? And when you get born again, doesn't the Holy Spirit come to dwell in you? It's true. We know that's true. So what does this mean, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive? Well, the only way we can reconcile that statement, and it's a statement of Jesus, so we can't discount it, we can't erase it and throw it out. The only way we can reconcile this is that obviously Jesus was talking about the fullness of the Spirit, what we call the baptism in the Holy Ghost. That's not something we preach to the world. That's not available to the world. Salvation is what we preach to the world. The new birth, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ producing the ability for a human being to be rebirthed, refathered, to be re spiritually, regenerated and made a new creature in Christ. That's what we preach to the world. The world needs Jesus. Amen. The church needs the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hallelujah. I said the world needs Jesus. The church needs the Holy Ghost. Now we know that when you're born again, there is a measure of the Holy Spirit in your life. I was born again when I was a young kid, and the Holy Spirit came to live in me. But some years later, when I was in that Pentecostal church, and I yielded, and basically I just t- told the Lord, if, if, if this is what I'm supposed to have, I want it. And it wasn't long until I was speaking in tongues, and I was filled with the Spirit. My life's never been the same. It's amazing. It's amazing. And Jesus said that experience, that's not what the world is getting. They have to get out of the world into the body of Christ then this experience is for them. They can't receive it. Amen. You know people sometimes they say well you know all this, uh, all you Pentecostal folks, charismatic folks speaking in tongues, don't you know that that is of the devil? And I just, you know you just want to be a smart aleck and for some of us it's easier than others. You just want to be a smart aleck and say, well, if, that'd be the ca- if that's of the devil, then I'm sure that, that in every penitentiary in America there's a constant speaking in tongues <laughs> by those demon-possessed prisoners in the penitentiary. If it's of the devil, then I'm sure that, that, uh, you know, that in every bar in America, every honky-tonk, as we say, country people, rednecks would say, In all those places, that must be what's going on. But you know it's not. And those people who say those foolish things know it's not so either. No, hallelujah. Thank God for the ability to speak spirit to spirit. Thank God for the ability to speak in the language the Holy Spirit gives. And, of course, we may get to more of that as we go along in this study, but we're going to have to stay on track tonight. For he goes on to say, the world can't receive him but... Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. Notice how he refers to him as him, not it. The Spirit of God is not a force. It's not some kind of like sci-fi thing, some unseen force. You know, No, the Holy Spirit's a person. But ye know him, he says, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. Now you might have a translation that renders it, Orphans, because that's what it means. Someone who's lost a parent. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you like an orphan. He said, I will come to you. And he's not talking here about the second coming. We know that's going to happen. He's talking about in the person of the Holy Spirit, this this other comforter. Another comforter, just like me. That's how I'm going to come to you. So everything that Jesus was to those disciples is what the Holy Spirit wants to be to you today. Everything He was to them, the Holy Spirit is for us. He says, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. And um, then He goes on to talk about um, you know, yet a little while the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. Now let's go over to chapter 16. And we've got a few minutes. Trying to be conscious of our time, but but since we have a minute or two, Matt's not going to take more than thirty minutes with announcements, are you? So we got a minute or two here. Chapter sixteen: Jesus is still talking, and all this uh, this conversation here has to—it was taking place on the night of what we call the Last Supper, when Jesus sat down with his disciples, and they took the, the Passover meal together—the last official Passover from Jesus' point of view. Now I know people today still celebrate Passover they take the Passover meal I know some even Christians you know they do the Passover Seder and I'm not saying that's wrong but um, Jesus has never taken a Passover meal in 2,000 years he said I'll drink this again with you in my father's kingdom just something to think about something to think about and so he's there with his disciples you know the story you know, everybody's seen, um, who, who was it painted the picture of the Last Supper? Da Vinci? Da Vinci? Leonardo Da Vinci? <laughs> Have you ever wondered how Jesus got everybody on the same side of the table? <laughs> Did he say, oh, everybody get over here for the picture? <laughs> Another thought, just a thought. Anyway, that's just foolishness, forgive me. But anyway, all this all this talking Jesus is doing that night. And so here we kind of break back in. He's getting back onto this topic of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7 of chapter 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you and we know Jesus never told a lie, so he's he's doing this for emphasis. So this is important. It is expedient or profitable for you that I go away, he's kind of making the same point with different words. In other words, uh, there's another comforter coming, but I'm going to have to go away before he can come. Now I'm sure if you were there that night, you would wonder how in the world is am I going to be better off if you leave me, Jesus? How is it going to be better that you're gone? I mean, for three and a half years, he had taken good care of them. Uh, you know, nobody had starved. There was abundance of food. Every need was met. They'd seen miracles that were just astounding, all kinds of wonderful things. They'd heard Re- revelation truth uh, like they'd never heard before in their entire lives. And now, this man who is there, who's been working these miracles, preaching these messages, teaching these lessons, he says, You're better off if I leave. And the only reason that's true. "...is because if I go not away, the Comforter, the Paraclete, the Comforter, Counselor, Helper, Intercessor, Advocate, Strengthener, and Standby, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come..." Aren't you glad he came? Yes. See, that's what Pentecost was about. Now, we know the Holy Spirit it was present in creation... We know the Holy Spirit would come upon people all through the Old Testament, uh, primarily on prophets, priests, and kings, and He would come and move to do mighty things through people. But Jesus is referring to His coming in fullness that happened on the day of Pentecost. And by the way, He's been here ever since. He doesn't take vacations. He doesn't take sabbaticals. He is here constantly. And when He is come... What's he going to do, Jesus? Number one, he will reprove or convince or convict the world of sin. He will convict or convince of righteousness and convict and convince of judgment. Where the world is concerned, where the person that's uneducated spiritually, the person that's untrained biblically is concerned, the first encounters with the Holy Spirit is going to be to bring conviction, because conviction is something you are convinced of. He's going to bring conviction or reprove the world of these three areas, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Notice he doesn't say here he's going to convict the world of smoking, drinking, chewing, and going with girls who do those things. (laughs) He doesn't say here he's going to come to line you out about how long your dress needs to be or how long your hair needs to be or all those things that people seem to get hung up on about their Christianity. You know what I'm talking about? Now, it's good to have convictions, but we need to understand what's most important to God. And so when we are proclaiming the truth, when we're bringing the word of God to people, when we're bringing the gospel to people, these are three areas that primarily we need to cover. Number one, what sin is, the penalty for sin. That's not a popular subject today. That's why millions of people are going to hell every year we live, because there's not enough proclamation of truth where this is concerned i'm not talking about hellfire damnation brimstone all the time but you know if you can go to a church for very long at all and you're living a totally heathen lifestyle you're living a totally ungodly lifestyle and you're never convicted about it you're in the wrong church somebody's not doing their job Reprove the world of sin. Number two, of righteousness. We go to the opposite pole. Righteousness, right standing with God. We go from one extreme to the other. The Holy Spirit wants that to be known. He wants you to know. See, Billy Graham made this statement. It's really good. He said, you can't get people saved until you get them lost. You can't get people saved until you get them lost. What did he mean? He meant that people have to know they need to be saved. You don't present salvation as a social climber's next step. You don't present church and living for God as just something that you might choose to do because it's good for you. No, people need to understand that if I don't know God, I'm going to hell. I may be a good person in a way, I may do do good things, I may be dependable, I might be faithful to my wife, I may pay my taxes and all of that, but if I'm not born again, guess what? I'm not getting into heaven. And people argue about all kinds of peripheral things, and I'm not saying that some of those things aren't important and that they don't need to be discussed, but you will never convince a person they need salvation until they understand they are lost. What is the one sin that the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of? Just one, really, to start with. That's, that's the opening salvo, if you will, of the sin of unbelief. He says, of sin because they believe not on me. And then to convince people of righteousness, he says, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. That's code, if you will, Christian code, Christianese, New Testament code for the fact I'm going to finish the work of redemption. You'll be able to be made righteous because when Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, the work's been done. The very fact he's there now means everything that's necessary for you to go to heaven for you to be made righteous, has already been done. And then thirdly, of judgment. And he says, because the prince of this world is judged. He knew that Satan's uh, full defeat was imminent when he would go to the cross and go through the process he went through and be resurrected from the dead. And, of course, the fact that Satan is judged requires God to judge all those who are his kids. Another inconvenient scripture that's easy to bypass, if you want to be politically correct, is John eight forty four, 44, where Jesus said to unbelievers in his day, ye are of your father the devil. People don't want to hear that. But before a person is born again... And God is their spiritual father. There's only one other person that can be their spiritual father. And that's the devil. And so, if the devil is judged for his sin, God being the just God that he is, really at this point has no choice but to judge those who follow him. And that may sound harsh, but the fact is, it's very easy to avoid that by receiving Jesus. Which is the smartest thing anybody ever did in their life anyway. Amen. Amen. All of this is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to close with this. Verse 13, or verse 12. Jesus said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now." now. I pointed this out last time, but I want to say it again. Can you imagine being there with Jesus And him saying, I've got a lot of things I'd like to tell you, but you're not able to hear. You're not ready for this. Has anybody ever asked you that? Or you ever asked that somebody, you know, you're going to tell them something that you think is just going to flabbergast them. And you say, are you ready for this? That's what Jesus was saying here. Really what he was saying was, you're not ready for this. But he didn't leave us there. He said, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And then he goes on to say some other things. We just don't have time to read that, but we'll get into that next time. But what I want to tell you tonight is that, especially, I'm not saying that's all there is to it, but especially when you read the epistles, when you read these letters to the church, when you read Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 2 Thessalonians and all the rest, the uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Jude, you know, all the, when you read these epistles, these letters to church to the church, you are reading what Jesus was talking about here in John 16. Things he was not able to say at that moment because only after he resurrected from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Spirit came in fullness, would many of these truths even begin to make sense to us? We think we would understand it because we're looking at it having this knowledge. But if you took this away and we didn't have the Holy Spirit in His fullness, we wouldn't be able to know these things. And it's interesting to note that all those books I just mentioned were written by people who were Spirit-filled and spoken of the tongues. There are passages in the Bible that will never make full sense unless you understand that truth and you understand the things of the fullness of the Spirit. This is very, very important if we're going to grow in God. Amen? Well, Father, we are grateful and thankful for Your Word. We thank You for the Holy Spirit. We want to make room. For the Holy Spirit in our own lives and we thank you for it in Jesus name Amen maybe before we're through with this series I'd I'd like that'd be my desire but we'll do our best to follow the Lord but maybe we'll have a little time where we can just spend some time one of these nights just around the altar for maybe ten minutes or so just let them play some music and we'll just pray in the Holy Ghost and Fellowship with the Lord a little bit. Learn to um, draw on the resources that are within. But I've preached all my time away. So Matt, if you'll come.